The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today's episode is all about Hawaii. So we're going to talk about the waste that's there. And uh, we're also featuring Scott Cooney. Now, he is the CEO of a company called Pono Essentials. So we're going to get to his company a little bit later as well. So here's my conversation with Scott Cooney. Let's talk about Hawaii a little bit because we've never discussed Hawaii on the show before. Uh, it's quite a sure. unique place to live. So um, can you tell us how the, the litter situation is there? And is it like the rest of North America where most of the stuff we need to buy is wrapped in all of this packaging or is it a little bit different? We have the Costco's and the Walmarts and all the all the usual places. It's still a, a part of the United States. So we have Burger King's and Jack in the Box and every sort of type of franchise and, and business you'd see in every town USA. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we typically have a lot of the same trash problems. And for us, it's compounded because we're close to the Pacific Gyre, the garbage patch in the, here in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And so we get plastics floating up on our beaches every morning. Oh, no. Um, or every, every high tide. Beautiful, beautiful beaches, broad and white sand and gorgeous water and just, uh, you know, an amazing space, a lot of wedding photos, and a lot of weddings happen out there. And every day, if you walk out there, there's just plastic all over the beach. So it's really hurting tourism here in Hawaii, where people just, they don't want to see that sort of thing when they're doing their weddings. And especially at big tides, when the, the king tide comes in, uh, plastic goes farther up the beach, and it's in everybody's space. Yeah. And then if you want to see one of the worst ones in the world, it's not a beach that's very popular here. Um, probably because of the plastic problem, but Kahuku, that beach is the worst. It's, it sits in a particular way oriented towards the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and just receives more trash than people can possibly clean up. That's so terrible. You know, I wondered about that because I used to surf when I was younger, like a teenager, and then I kind of was doing other things with my life uh, for the, the last decade. And so I haven't really been doing anything near the ocean, but... I noticed that the rivers are starting to get a lot of trash in them as well. So I've been wondering about the beaches. Like if I went back to the same places that I used to surf at, would they be, you know, kind of covered in trash, um, which is really sad. So I'm, I'm sad to hear that, that there's a, a litter problem in Hawaii, but obviously I'm not surprised. I went to school on Vancouver Island and did the hike okay. on the North Shore and the beaches, they had tons of litter on there. And it is yeah. like a pristine wilderness, like you need to drive hours down a dirt road to reach it. It's super remote, but yeah. all the garbage is there. And I'm sure a lot of these beaches are remote too. Um, but can, yeah, yeah. Can, you, can you imagine paying like tens of thousands of dollars to have your wedding in Hawaii? And then it was, you know, maybe just after a big tide. And then there's all this garbage on, on the beach. That would be pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully an eye-opener to people, you know. So yeah. the Surfrider Foundation and Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii are two organizations out here that regularly do these beach cleanups yeah. and that, you know, the point of the beach cleanup is not particularly to clean up the beach. It's to educate people. Mm-hmm. And so they're always recruiting people to come out and they always invite city council and 
members of our state legislature to come out and join and, and join their community in a beach cleanup. And uh, once your eyes have been opened to this, it is impossible to unsee. I think it's a great way for us to, to present the plastic problem to the general public. And those guys have been at it for, oh, you know, longer than I've been alive, probably. Surfrider Foundation is uh, an organization I donate to, our, our company donates to, and that I particularly volunteer for because I believe in their mission so much. And uh, they've educated tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people about the plastic problem. And as a result, I would like to say probably a a very direct result, Honolulu, our whole island here, Honolulu County, just banned single-use plastics. Wow. And that could could not possibly have happened without educating all those people and showing them, look, here's the problem. Okay, but there must be only some single-use plastics. Yes. So the businesses have two years to phase out their use of single-use plastics, but straws, uh, silverware cups, you know, stuff like that, the, the wow. easy single-use replacements, mm-hmm. um, those are all being phased out, and uh, they do have two years to, to do it, and there are some exemptions around certain things like prepackaged goods, like chip bags and stuff like that. So, so chip bags uh, will still be, I mean, chip bags are... Right, they're, they're a bit of a composite, but yeah, yeah. a lot of plastic in there. But like, you kind of can't ban things like water bottles, right? Because sometimes those are necessary for people? I, I think that... Yeah, I think that qualifies as prepackaged foods. I'm I'm not an expert on the on the bill, so I don't quote me on any of this. <laughs> bill forty number F four zero is the uh, bill people can look up if they want to see what Honolulu City Council just passed. All the list of exemptions are there. Yeah, because it must be such a hard thing to do because we are addicted to feeding ourselves in plastic and having yes. convenience, which is a big yes. problem. Like nobody's hardly willing to do. The extra work of like, if, uh, for example, I squeeze my own oranges for orange juice and I don't know why other people don't do that. <laughs> you know, like you can, it's just so easy, but instead people want the cartons and the bottles. Um, sure. So it's like this weird like mindset thing. And so when you take bottles and cartons away from people and are like, squeeze your own orange juice, like people get like in an uproar, like so upset. Like, how dare you make me squeeze my own orange? Yeah, uh, we we have been trained to be pretty lazy. I think we have we've been um, we've been living on borrowed time, really. And when it comes down to it, by um, you know cheap fossil fuels, oil, mm. which then is made into plastic and then makes our life very convenient. And privilege too. Like I think about kings and queens and courts, you know, back like from a thousand to hundreds of years ago and how they had like servants kind of doing everything for them. And like our life in a way like plastic and oil and gas has like weirdly made us live almost like kings and queens in a weird way. Do you know what I mean? Like everything is just there for us all the time. You know, we're thirsty. Just stop anywhere and grab a bottle and then throw it out afterwards. What about, uh, yeah. like, is recycling big on the island? Uh, the islands, we, I guess I should say. Yeah, we, we do recycle some things. Funny enough, if you Google the economics of recycling in Hawaii, you, you will actually find an article I wrote for Hawaii Business Magazine. Oh, cool. Um, eight years ago now. And uh, they asked me to dive deep into the economics and figure out what had a uh, secondary market. And the findings were, were pretty slim. Um, it, as it turned out, we were losing money on uh, recycling glass. We are barely breaking even on a couple of other things. And back then, I think that included plastics one and two. 
but all of their plastics didn't really have any sort of aftermarket value, so nobody was buying them, so they were just being incinerated. Cardboard does pretty well out here. Paper you can still recycle. Aluminum, of course. So there's there's uh, there's some good and some not so good, but typically plastic goes to our incinerator, and here on our beautiful island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, we have um, an incinerator, mm-hmm. uh, and we burn our trash. Yeah. Well, what else, I guess, are you going to do with it? I guess you could bury <laughs> yeah, that's, it. that's ultimately the problem. So we, we only have very limited land space. We yeah. don't have a long landfill. And then shipping our trash elsewhere, nobody, of course, wants to take it. So um, we have to pay for that, and we have to pay through the nose for it. And, and a ton of fossil for... fuels for that, like all the bunker fuel yeah. you need to transport it across the ocean to your, like, your nearest landmass, right? That would be crazy. It, exactly, which is 3,000 miles away. Yeah. So that would be a, mm-hmm. a ton of fuel. So you really have to be self-sufficient. So I guess you've got your aluminum recycling facilities there and your paper recycling mm-hmm. uh, facilities there. Yeah. Because yeah. I guess it's like kind of self-contained. And the the stuff that's washing up on shore, like do you see that it has names on it or like certain countries? Like is there any sort of indicators or is it just all kind of broken up at that point? It's impossible to tell where the stuff comes from. You know, yeah. it does, a lot of this stuff just washes up and it's a bottle cap and it's been floating on the ocean for, you know, six months and you have absolutely no idea where it's coming from. We get a lot of fishing gear as well because oh, there's gosh. a lot of commercial fishing that happens around here. Is there? Um, just two weekends ago, we were able to pull four nets out of Waimanalo Beach. So Go, fishermen yeah. basically cut them loose when they're, uh, for whatever reason, they're stuck or they're just, they need to move on. They'll just cut a net loose and it just floats around in the ocean doing what nets do, which is which is catch and kill wildlife. Exactly. And uh, we, were, we were able to pull up four nets. One of them we saw floating in the ocean. We got a friend of mine and I just swam out to it, pulled it in. Yeah, so we, we get a lot of fishing gear, but the rest of it, we, we, we try to play a game. You know, we try to entertain ourselves while we're doing beach cleanups, and we try to play a game called Name That Plastic, and it's uh, trying to figure out what the heck something is. You get this random piece with a curve on it, and it's red, and there's like a stripe. And you're like, hmm, what could that be? So you, you try to try to find some levity in these situations. But yeah, it's it's absolutely impossible to see where it's all coming from. Yeah. I, I know that the latest greatest from the climate change deniers is to blame everything on China. Yes. And to try and say, well, if China wasn't manufacturing all this stuff, we wouldn't have this problem. And, you know, if China wasn't dumping stuff, we wouldn't have all this problem. That's, that's absolutely not the case. The trash comes from everywhere. We see it coming out of every river mouth all around the world. And of course, even here in the most beautiful place in the world, Hawaii, we see our trash flying on any windy day oh out goodness. into the ocean. Oh no! And we have we have these garbage cans all over that are public that you know we we put out for tourists who are using the beaches, and uh, people take their plastic bags from the, the store where they just bought a plastic water bottle, and they take both of them and they put them in the garbage, which they're being super responsible and doing. And then the wind picks up and both of them are in the ocean. Why is there not a plastic bag ban? I thought that I'm surprised that there isn't actually. Is there going to be one soon? We did. Yeah. Hawaii was the first to ban plastic bags. And it's an excellent question. (laughs) So the the bottom line is what happened is, um, you know, as usual, the industry will come in and ask for exemptions and try to clarify every little detail and and that sort of thing. So we couldn't pass a statewide ban, mainly because there is a... um, You can't even make this stuff up. There was a there was a politician who uh, was on the the committee that made sure that these environmental bills went uh, from the committee into the fuller legislature. 
And this guy basically just uh, wouldn't bring things to a vote, wouldn't allow things to proceed, they would do procedural blocks, um, et cetera. And he was a paid consultant by the American Chemistry Council, who paid him an annual salary as a consultant. While he was a uh, politician? Yes. Is that legal? Um, It's funny. Uh, John Oliver actually caught a little glimpse of video of him. His name is Joe Suki, S-O-U-K-I. And I I believe he has now scandalously resigned after just so many scandals piled up. Oh, my Um, goodness. But he was the one blocking legislation at the state legislature um, year after year after year, anything related to plastic, styrofoam, et cetera. He would always step in and, and block anything that would happen. So uh, on public record, he was making over $20,000 a year as a quote-unquote consultant uh, paid by the American Chemistry Council, which is the front group for the plastics industry. What he was consulting on, we don't know. Uh, You can only kind of imagine how much more money there might have been in campaign contribution, other things, you know, this kind of how things work. So we couldn't get anything through the state legislature, and Surfrider was, was trying for many years. So what we were able to do was ban it county by county and do um, city-county votes. And here in Hawaii, that makes it nice and clean because the county is an island, basically, except for uh, Maui County, which contains three islands. And so we were able to ban plastic bags island by island. But of course, the industry, American Chemistry Council, came in and kept you know, trying to like cut here and there and get compromised here and there. And what they were able to do was put in a definition of a reusable bag. Because they were like, well, what about reusable bags? What are we supposed to do? And, mm-hmm. you know, do these all have to be made of organic hemp? You know, so this, you know, city councils were like, look, okay, that's fine. A plastic bag can be a reusable bag. It has to be a, a certain thickness so that it can actually be reused. Okay. So there was a compromise there. And so what Walmart and a bunch of the others ended up doing was just making all of their plastic bags that thick. So they basically flipped the whole thing on its head and created more plastic because we banned plastic bags. I've heard and of this that, happening. Yep. Yeah, that that will get you to the mindset of who we're who we're working against, more or less, in this in this <laughs> equation. So so thankfully um, this new bill closes that loophole that they were able to find and now we have to really truly phase out these single use plastic bags. Wow, that is insane. Have you ever seen that movie Thank You for Smoking? Okay, this reminds me a lot of that, where you, like, they know that cigarettes are killing people, they know that they're really bad, but just for the money and whatever, they are pushing for bad things, you know, and I I feel like there are lobbyists, this happened in Tybee Island, too, in Georgia, one of my first episodes, we talked about them trying to ban plastic bags, and same thing, plastic lobbyists came in and were like, we're going to fight you, and they won, you know, and it's like, why would you fight for something like that? Like, can the money really be worth it? Like, I know people need jobs and I don't want people yeah. to lose their jobs, but yeah. there has to be some sort of balance of like not killing things and, you know, destroying the planet and still being able to have a job. I, I mean, I mean, the people who are like in the plastics industry, you know, like I know that they oh, right. they need jobs and stuff. I'm trying to be uh, understanding, but also like let the plastic bag bans happen. They're really bad for the environment. They're really, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially for animals it, eating it, them and especially in Hawaii where, you know, there's whales and dolphins and stuff all around you. And we know that they look like yeah. jellyfish, right? So they're getting eaten, I'm yep. sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we, we started to see um, in December a sperm whale floated up on a beach and it had over 200 pounds of plastic in its stomach. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. That's you horrible. You can Google that. 
Oh, I would um, probably cry if I Google it because I, I, I keep seeing these things and yeah, there's like 80 plastic bags, I think in one in the Philippines. And I don't think <laughs> I heard about the 200 pound, pounds of plastic. Over 200 pounds. Yeah. There is an art installation piece that you will see if you Google that, that somebody put a bunch of plastic like spilling out of the thing's mouth. That is, that is an art piece. And so don't confuse that with the, with the real thing. But when they did the the dissection of the whale that had beached itself, they found 200 pounds of plastic in its stomach. That's so sad and horrible. You know, I went to Cayman Islands, I think it was last year, and they've got a problem too. So they're an island, it's a bunch of rich people, and the highest point on the island is the dump. So there's this big mm-hmm. mountain of trash in the middle, and it's getting so big. And how I see it is like these vacationers come, and they leave a legacy there. So they'll come, they'll yep. have like some cups at a styrofoam, they'll have some bottles, and then they'll just like add it to the mountain, like they'll add it to the problem. And so yeah. I, I, I kind of envisioning Hawaii the same way. People love to go there. It's a big tourist destination. So they'll come from, you know, the U.S. or wherever, and they will leave this legacy of like trash there, although it gets burnt, at least if it doesn't blow into the ocean and get eaten by uh, a whale. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's like a little bit better than the trash mountain thing, but still pretty crazy. Are there zero waste shops in Hawaii? There is one opening in Kailua, which is exciting. And her name is Lori Malini, and um, she's got a a really cool, out here in Hawaii, the word for responsibility is Kuliana. And so her store has the name Kuliana in it, and it's basically just, you know, this is our Kuliana. We we need to take care of our keiki, which is our children, our aina, which is our land, and uh, and it is our Kuliana to do so. And, you know, this is our problem. We created it. We can't pump this to our kids. And that's, that's more or less where, where she's coming from. That's and then cool. there's a lot of zero waste brands. So um, a lot of companies starting to shift towards zero waste. There's a lot of restaurants that are going towards zero waste. So it's definitely happening. And the Bill 40 would not have passed were it not for business owner after business owner after business owner after business owner getting up and testifying and saying, this wasn't so hard. We did it. Well, good. It so hard. Good. Yeah, because it's businesses that are creating so much of it, right? So we really need businesses to get on board. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, Hawaiians have these things that they care about, the land, their children, the future, that sort of thing. I I hear that Hawaii has a – so I've been there once, but I didn't leave the airport, so it doesn't really count. So I don't – I haven't really been there, you know. Um, But I hear that it has like this this vibe that's different than everywhere else in the world. And it's like a laid back vibe. And I've heard this, that people care about the land and that they want tourists to care about the land the same way they do. So is this, is there some sort of vibe that you see where people care about the environment more than other places? And is it because of like how beautiful it is? Like what, what's up with that? I I definitely think so. I'd say it's more in touch with our natural surroundings than a lot of other places that don't have this sort of natural beauty to resonate with. So um, that that is a very positive influence. So it, it's there. There's a lot of people who don't even swim, who don't go into the mountains, who may enjoy a nice view and a sunset, a rainbow every now and again, but um, typically don't even notice these things. And typically, uh, I would say that those are probably the people that don't notice their plastic bottles and don't notice their plastic bags and don't make those connections. So... How do you think we get those people to care? Is there hope or are there always going to be people who will not care kind of no matter what? Uh, you know, I, I think the problem is, 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 is very complex. You, you have a lot of money out there that is um, trying to self-perpetuate. And, you know, you, you can see a clear example that the American Chemistry Council and 
the climate change deniers and that sort of thing. So, so the the playbook. Um, thank you for smoking, and you know the the tobacco industry that kind of made this playbook, and the playbook is still being used to this day by fossil fuel industries and the plastics industries and all the industries that are that are really troubling for everything that's going on. Um, casting doubt uh, is is the biggest thing, and so. Uh, like I said before, now the the nice thing is to relieve everyone's eco guilt and be like, oh no, it's China's problem, or we can recycle our way out of this. Don't worry about it, or some miracle technology will come along and, and it will fix everything for us. So unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of people getting that information, and the people behind that money have uh, done a lot of psychology research to figure out how they can make these these messages resonate. Um, with these people to maybe punt two or three years down the line. So these people start to wake up to this plastic and they see all the plastic on the beaches and they wake up and they're like, oh my God, I got to do something about this. And then these soothing messages come in. Don't worry about it. It's China's problem. We can recycle this stuff. We're going to clean up the beaches. You know, that you, you can see $30 million has already been raised for this effort, um, which hasn't even made it out of the laboratory yet of a net to clean up the oceans. I don't know if you've seen this. Um, the net, maybe. Maybe the size of a football field. And they've already raised $30 million to go out and start cleaning up the ocean. And it's a net the size of a football field in an ocean half a hemisphere. Is that Why? Boy and Slat's invention? Uh, I, I don't want to get into names. Because there's like a young guy... And and kudos to them for, for trying to do something, but it's not the answer. And all it is doing is making people who need a relief valve from their ego stress to be like, oh, phew, somebody's taking care of this. I don't have to do squat. I can continue doing exactly what I'm doing. And that is exactly what the American Chemistry Council and the, the plastics manufacturers would love for everyone to believe. The playbook is, you can see it in a documentary called Merchants of Doubt. PR firms around the world make millions and millions and millions of dollars casting doubt yeah. on climate change, on plastic problems, on whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is the one message that I would like everyone to know is that there's a whole misinformation campaign out there that's trying to keep people from changing because change means disruption to an industry that is making a lot of money if you don't change. Mm-hmm. But that industry is really troubling for all of us. And as long as they get us to keep not changing, then, you know, Walmart's not going to change, Costco's not going to change, et cetera. They're going to continue to have everything wrapped in plastic. Mm-hmm. So you are part of the solution, though, because you are a business owner yourself. So tell us about your company. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, we we try to find business solutions to all these problems because if you can solve it on the business end, the politics, you know, you can't have the Joe Sukis of the world blocking any legislation at your own business. And so yeah. um, this is a piece of the answer. I want to be very, very clear that this is not the only answer. We need all hands on deck. Uh, we need political will. We need business capital. We need nonprofits. We need people and consumers to do their part. But we're trying to do our part. And I think the, the key to think back is that leaded gasoline didn't go away because uh, we banned it. Leaded gasoline started to go away because people started fearing it and started looking for alternatives. And then once the alternatives were economically viable, there was no more resistance to change. 
so what we're trying to do is prove an economic model that you can do a zero-waste business and uh, provide a perfectly convenient solution that really doesn't take much of a shift. People don't have to squeeze their own oranges. People don't have to go out and grow their own, <laughs> you know, noni and squeeze it, make mm-hmm. their own shampoo. We we do that for them. Yeah, I don't want to make my um, own shampoo. There's like some yeah, things I can make at home. Like I can squeeze my own orange, but I, sure. I don't want to make a bunch of complex products. Like I have so much going on in my right. life, right? We can only do exactly. a certain amount of things. So we need companies exactly. making these things that we can buy them. Like the economy works. Yeah. <laughs> we, we so, so that's it. So our, our company offers a, a subscription box that people can get a box in the mail with oh, cool. products. And we have a whole line, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, lotion, sunscreen, lip balm, bar soaps, um, you know, dish soaps. We have, we have all kinds. And so people can get a box in the mail that's totally customizable every month. They can choose dish soap one month and uh, bar soap and, uh, you know, some other things. And then the next month they can get a shampoo and a conditioner and a lotion and then, you know, whatever. So they can customize it every single month. And every time they get a box, there's a return shipping label that is free shipping. And they can put all their empties right back in that box, stick that same box with the same packaging and fill material back in their mailbox. Oh, good. And it shoots straight back to us. And we clean everything and refill it. Wow. So we try to make it so convenient that no one can say no. The problem is that we are a little bit more expensive. We can't beat per plus. (laughs) We can't go and manufacture 16 ounces of shampoo for $3 and get it to market in a plastic bottle. It's just, we can't do that. So Um, thank you so much for doing this because I think that this is the answer. And, you know, you mentioned before that you have a glass problem in Hawaii and with recycling glass, it loses money. But I don't understand why you wouldn't, why any company wouldn't want to refill the glass because then you you don't, you you lose the cost. Like you don't have to pay for new products, jars. Right, right. For us, um, as we're getting better and better at cleaning and uh, have economies of scale, it's actually less expensive for us to buy the bottles back from yes. our customers awesome. because they're pre-labeled, they're pre-made. All we need to do is clean them and refill them. And that actually is turning out uh, mostly because of shipping. We, you know, 3,000 miles worth of shipping to get all the product out here, the, the bottles, the pumps, the sprayers, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so if we can reuse those things, it makes economic sense for us to do it. And we're able to pass that savings on to the customer. Um, so that's, that's a nice part of the solution. Again, Nothing is perfect. We still can't beat per plus on price, but we're providing an organic, locally made shampoo, conditioner, body wash, lotion, sunscreen, everything in a reusable tin or bottle that we buy back from the customer. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Well, I think that that's a a perfect solution. Are you going to have return centers like on the mainland one day or is it... Is it always we, be? we already do? Yeah, we oh, have a return do. center. We've got one in Nevada now, and oh, we're wow. hoping to open a East Coast location at some point where uh, shipments can go back there. And we're we're looking we're full circle. We're we're trying not to um, have too much go into fossil fuels and that sort of thing. So we we do uh, we try to hyper localize as much as possible. What we make here in the islands, we sell here in the islands, and we do not ship across three thousand miles to anyone on the mainland. What we make on the mainland, we ship on the mainland, and that's mm-hmm. it. And hopefully at some point we'll have a manufacturing facility in every state, oh and gosh. we'll have a bottle drop, bottle return in every state so that the shipping never goes more than a couple hundred miles uh, of empty bottles and full bottles going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing to hear. I didn't know that you were doing this this program, and I really do think that it's the answer is just reusing those 
bottles and jars and vessels and everything. Like we have uh, we have milk here that comes in glass bottles and you can just take it back and you get a $2 deposit and then yeah, yeah. they I sterilize mean, it. 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 It's the milkman model. It really is not totally, that yeah. revolutionary. And and what's funny yeah. is all these uh, all these kids are really into climate and plastic and and that sort of thing. The the, the kid generation is is woke. They are they are woke, and I think they're the a big part of the answer. You know, because they're educating their parents. Their parents are freaking out and being like, "Oh my god, what do I do?" And you know, th- these kids are like, "Oh my god, did you invent this business model?" And here I am, I'm a generation older than these kids, and I'm and I'm I'm chuckling inside, being like, "Yeah." Yeah, kid, I invented this business. <laughs> Whereas when I grew up, this is how milk was delivered to our house. You know, you really do. You, do you remember that? Yeah, when I was very young. Wow. I'm, I'm old now, so <laughs> my mom a, remembers you. <laughs> yeah, but you'd, you'd get a glass jar of milk, and then you know that you put the empty out there, and the person would go and grab it, and they'd drop you off a new one, and they would take the old one back, and they'd clean it, and then they would refill it for the next customer. You know, it, this is not revolutionary. Um, what we're doing is a little bit of a modern spin, and we definitely try to get it as full circle as possible with the local shipping and um, with the organics and um, all the non-toxics. We never, there's no toxic ingredients in anything that we that we sell. So um, we're trying to make it comprehensively awesome, and uh, that's our goal. That's really awesome. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear about this. It's a little bit like the Loop program too, with when they have different. Um, like groceries and stuff that you can get. And then, yeah, you just wash out the containers because you're right, like people just don't want to do extra work. And sometimes, like me, like I, I don't mind doing extra work. It's just I, I, my life is so full. Like I will get exhausted if I add too many more sure. things. So I have to just be careful not to like, you know, start making my own soaps or something. Like I just don't want to, I just don't want to do that. No, you know? no, <laughs> I totally. It. I mean, our whole economy is built on convenience, right? So my, I always go back to why would we expect sustainability to be any different? We can't expect people to completely change and alter everything that they're doing. People are willing yeah. to make tweaks and early adopters are probably willing to make bigger tweaks and Definitely. late adopters are willing, laggards are, are willing to do less. Um, but our solution is built on convenience. And so that's the market we're going for is like anybody who, um, you know, is getting a lot of stuff through Amazon anyway, and they're used to getting stuff through the mail, like this is really no different. So, yeah. So if listeners want to check out your products, it's ponohome.com, right? It's a, that's our, um, so our company actually started as a um, energy efficiency company, believe it or not, um, Ponohome Essentials is our product line that we do this uh, circular economy thing through. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pono Home is the company that we that I originally founded, which was five and a half years ago. Um, it's the sort of parent company of all the other brands at this point, but we've spun off a couple of other brands. Um, Pono Home actually does energy efficiency retrofits for homes. Pono is a Hawaiian word means doing the right thing. So Pono Home, we green homes, and we have uh, serviced over 13,000 homes in the Hawaiian Islands, across all the islands. And uh, we've cut, um, oh, I don't know exactly how much, but a lot of carbon pollution. Uh, we're saving our customers more than $2.5 million a year on their utility bills. Um, we're up over 220 million gallons of water that we're saving every year through improved faucets, showers, and toilet leaks that we have fixed. The megawatt hours that we have offset is, is, is substantial. So, so we're doing our climate part. And then I kept seeing a, a need to solve the plastic problem, too. And so we spun out Pono Home Essentials as a brand on the side. So PonoHomeEssentials.com is where they can get all the zero waste information. Wow. 
You're a busy guy. You must have a really good team doing all this work. An amazing team. It's yes, awesome. an amazing team. I, I cannot speak more volumes of these folks. Um, and I will tell you that as a, as a business owner, this is the biggest bonus of doing the right thing is that you recruit the best team on the planet. It is, it is unbelievable. I, I'm, I get choked up even thinking about how amazing our team is because everybody is in this thing to win it. And it is like, as a business owner, there's nothing more powerful. Awesome. Yeah. More purpose, right? More, more reasons to get up and go to work every day. Like if we're doing the right thing, you know, it's a lot better than if you're doing something you don't really believe in. Right. Which is, uh, which is, I feel like that's more becoming the American dream. You know, it's, it's, I think the American dream is evolving. Like it used to be this, you know, get your, do what you like and get your car and your picket fence and all that stuff. And I think now it's like more purpose driven or at least yes. it's evolving to it. I hope so anyway. Absolutely. Minimalism is really a thing now and, and people are really focusing on what's truly important and what's truly important is community and purpose. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. Scott, thank you so much for all the work that you do. I think that this is a really great model and I think you're doing really good things. And uh, thank you for filling us in on what's going on in Hawaii in the zero waste world. Absolutely. Laura, thank you. That was Scott Cooney, CEO of Pono Essentials, calling us from Hawaii. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. (laughs) 